I don't know about you guys, I love movies. And one of my favorite movies of the last several years has been Darkest Hour. I don't know if you've watched that or not. It's a, if you aren't familiar with it, it's a movie about Winston Churchill back in World War II. The fate of Western Europe would hang on Winston Churchill, the newly appointed British Prime Minister. He must decide whether to negotiate with Hitler or fight on the, against the incredible odds against him. Throughout the story, Churchill would have all kinds of challenges and people telling him to surrender, that they couldn't do it. Many would advise him that they would be overtaken. Churchill had a decision to make. Would he stand and fight for the hope of Western Europe or to back down to Nazi Germany? Stand up for what is right or allow evil to continue to make headway? In a similar way, we have choices today. Today is a constant fight for truth in our culture, and we have the same fight within our churches. So if you would open your Bible with me to first, the first letter to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, which will be our text this morning, and you will see that Timothy has been left in a town called Ephesus to take a stand against false teaching and false doctrines. Just a little bit of a context. First Timothy, broadly speaking, shows what it, is, what it looks like when a church goes astray and how we are to, to get the church back on track. Before Paul had written this letter to his young protege, Timothy, he had left Timothy in the town of Ephesus to stand uh, and to instill sound doctrine and sound practices into the church there in Ephesus. The massive issue among many of the church leaders in Ephesus was that they were more concerned with not so much proclaiming Jesus, but on actually promoting and protecting themselves. This then led to all kinds of concerning issues and teachings within the church at Ephesus. So Paul had taken and left Timothy in Ephesus to preach and to teach Christ and to remove what Paul understood as hindrances to the Christian mission and to remove all obstacles for the gospel. The letter of 1 Timothy is an encouragement and instruction for Timothy as he continues uh, his ministry. Paul left him to do there in Ephesus. So if you would look with me with 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1-11. through 11. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus... By command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope. To Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths, endless genealogies, which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons by swerving from these have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things of which they make confident assertions. Now we know the law is good 
if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. In accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. So we will have two main points this morning from this text. Point number one will be no sound doctrine. Point number one will be no sound doctrine. And point number two will be reject false doctrine. Point number two will be reject false doctrine. So under point one, we will have three different subpoints. So first subpoint this morning is the source of sound doctrine. The source of sound doctrine. So oftentimes through our scripture and reading and devotions as Christians, I think we often kind of run right through the, the greetings of all of our letters. And we, not, and we don't think much of it. I mean, this, this is a typical Greco-Roman letter. It has that clear introduction, that greeting, that large body, and at the end it's got a nice conclusion. But the first two verses of this letter are so important. Before we jump into the rest of the text, I want us to observe a few things from the first two verses. We see in verse 1 that Paul is an apostle of Christ Jesus. And he says that he has been commanded by Jesus. Paul is reinforcing the apostolic authority. What this means is that even though these are Paul's words here in the, the letter of 1 Timothy, these words also carry a divine authority that comes from God himself. Look, at, look back at verse 1 again. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope. Friends, the one who carries such divine authority, the source of truth, the eternal God, is always, will be our hope as Christians. We also see three words often used in the Bible, grace, mercy, and peace. The source of all sound doctrine is also the source of eternal grace, mercy, and peace. So to quickly define these words, grace is getting what we do not deserve. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. And peace is the the wholeness and fullness of God that surpasses our understanding regardless of situations. The source of all doctrine and all truth makes available grace, mercy, and peace to those who are in Christ. We can even see this in the Old Testament. We see this being promised back in Ezekiel 36 when God is telling Ezekiel to prophesy to the house of Israel of the coming new covenant that God will establish with his people. I'll quickly read some of Ezekiel 36. I'll start in verse 22. It says, Therefore, say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, 
It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you have came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness. And from your idols, I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk into my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. And I will deliver you from all your uncleanliness and I will summon the grain and make it abundant and lay no famine upon you. I will make the fruit of the tree an increase of the field abundant that you may never again suffer the disgrace of famine among the nations. Then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good, and you will loathe yourselves for your inequities and your abominations. It is not for your sake that I will act, declares the Lord God. Let that be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your ways, O house of Israel. So we see this very promise that God made with Israel here in Ezekiel 36. If you look around, it's fulfilled today. Because we gather today as God's people dwelled by His Holy Spirit, we are evidence that God's faithfulness to, to keep and to deliver His promises. The source of sound doctrine begins and ends with the promises and the fulfillments we find in God's Word and in the finished work of Christ. The second sub-point this morning that we have for our, our major first sub-point is the heart of sound doctrine. The heart of sound doctrine. What kind of posture should sound doctrine take? So if you're in the Twitterverse or have paid much attention at all to Southern Baptist Convention politics of late, you probably understand what Paul is urging Timothy here. Let me look at verse 5. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart in a good conscience and a sincere faith. Paul is countering here the heart posture we, with sound doctrine, should have towards those who are misleading others with false ideas and doctrines. In verse 4, Paul tells us that the, about the hearts of the false teachers that they devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. Paul is showing Timothy the difference in heart and the contrast to the outer workings of one who is rooted in sound doctrine and the one who is rooted in different doctrines that is foreign to God's word. So we as Christians should strive and aim every day to be full of love that flows from the Word of God. 
I think a great question to ask ourselves is, how much do we read and dive into God's Word? Because if you even begin to believe that we could even possibly begin to fill our hearts full of love with a heart of a pure heart and a good conscience, if you think you can do that without your soul being soaked into the Word of God, brothers and sisters, you will likely end up just as the false teachers Paul is commanding Timothy to go after. Even on our busiest days, surround your entire day around your time in God's Word. Do not neglect your spiritual food, lest you end up neglecting the spiritual state of your soul. Embrace the promises of God and have an unwavering commitment to the promises we find in His Word. Then, then the outflowing work of the Spirit will be, as Paul says in verse 5, love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Paul is clearly telling Timothy to reject and to call out false teachers and all their ideas, but we must do it in a God-honoring way. We must do it in a way that is so obviously displays that the Spirit of God lives within us. A third sub-point this morning is the understanding of sound doctrine. The understanding of sound doctrine. So the clear issues among the false teachers uh, here in 1 Timothy um, uh, is that they clearly misunderstood the law and the gospel. What the exact issues at hand, what they were, uh, were teaching, isn't necessarily clear. But what is clear is the effects of what is being taught. And it is causing others to fall into ungodly behaviors which does not represent God. So let me be really clear on this point. Sound theology ought to lead to true doxology. Another way to put that, right theology should lead to rightful worship of God. So if I were to ask all of you in here, are you a Christian? I'm sure most in here would say, of course. Yeah, of course. But what if I asked you, are you a theologian? I'm not sure many of you would give me the same kind of answer. But here's the thing. If you're a Christian, you are a theologian. Theology literally means thinking about God. So if you've ever had anything to say or to think about God, you are a practical theologian. Being a Christian and not a theologian is not an option. Obviously, there's the obvious caveat here. What I am not saying is that we all must then go get our PhDs in theology to secure our ticket into heaven. It's not what I'm saying. What I'm not saying is that we all must preach sermons like Charles Spurgeon or John MacArthur. What I am saying is that we are to know God and His Word and to be equipped to share His Word and the Gospel to the world that so desperately needs a Savior. We need to understand what God wants us to understand. God gave us His entire inspired and errant Word to us. All 66 books. 
There you will find the riches of God's attributes, love, mercy, justice, promises, fulfillments, you name it. He gave you his word for you to know it so that you can know him. Friends, it is not okay for you to claim yourself as a Christian and believe that just because you know that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, rose from the dead, and that that's all you need to know and have to do with Christianity. While that is a glorious truth, Christ did not die and rise victoriously for those who had little to do with his word or his church. Christ died on a cross bearing the full weight of God's wrath and would rise victoriously over death itself to secure the salvation of those who would repent of their sin and trust in him. Turning from sin and trusting in Jesus has never been and never will be a one-time thing. It is an everyday thing. It is a life change. Being a Christian means studying God's word daily because you have a burning desire to know God. Being a Christian means that those habitual sins that you had before Christ, it's time to kill it. It's not time to struggle with it. It's time to kill it. Being a Christian means you have a growing desire to see those around you know Christ. I could go on and on, but none of this is obtainable unless we lean on God's word to help us plead with God to give us a growing desire to know him more. And as you begin your journey to know God in this way through his word, then watch that faith-arousing word of God work in your heart and throughout your life. You see the, faith, you see the false teachers in 1 Timothy 1 did not understand that. That is why Paul counters them in verses 8 through 11. Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and the profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God, which I have been entrusted. Paul is helping us understand the purpose of the law. The law is meant to show Jews that, frankly, they could not uphold the standard that God has set. Back in the garden with Adam and Eve, humans were actually made good. Those were God's words himself that he used back in Genesis. Humanity was in perfect harmony with God until Adam and Eve rebelled against God and broke a law that God had given them. He commanded them not to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And Adam and Eve broke that law and humanity was and has been separated from God under the curse of our sin nature. But God, being rich in grace and mercy, was sent his son to live the life that Adam and Eve should have lived. He never sinned and would die a sacrifice as an atonement for the sins of many. Christ came to reverse the curse. Christ came to fulfill the law that the Jews stood no chance to faithfully keep. 
Christ came as the greater Adam to save a people to himself and would forever reverse the curse of sin. He died and he rose three days later and now sits at the right hand of the Father interceding for his blood-bought people. And if you are here and you're not a Christian, if you will repent of your sins and trust in this Jesus, he will intercede for you as well. The blood he spilled will be for you. You can know God. You can know God and be in right relationship with him again if you just turn from your sin and trust in this Jesus. You too can be in right relationship with God, but only through Christ. This leads me to my second point for this morning. Reject false doctrine. Reject false doctrine. With the understanding of knowing sound theology and how to apply it, it also means coming with the responsibility to know what false doctrine looks like and to reject false doctrines outright. In verse 3, Paul commands Timothy to, to do this very thing. He says, as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. So Paul clearly intended Timothy to call out and to correct false doctrines. This clearly applies to us today as well. We must reject false teachers within our churches and within the scope of our listening ears, which is pretty large considering the internet and all that allows our ears to hear. In verse 7, Paul even says that they even desire to be teachers of the law, but adds that they are without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Paul knew then that some teachers had a gifting about them that would allow them to teach confidently, which would lead people to being persuaded. Their their fun, charismatic charm or even the ability to speak and teach with a resounding confidence that would have a pull to draw people in. We have the same problem today. Friends, we must know that confidence is not competence. Just because whoever is preaching and is preaching confidently does not make them right or mean that they, are, they know what they're talking about. Friends, that includes me. That includes Ben. That includes anybody who stands behind this pulpit. You must always judge our words by what God's word says and hold us to that standard. When preachers go astray, they have to be rebuked and corrected. False teachers must be rejected. So with that, I love music. There's a song by a guy named Shai Lin. Uh, He wrote a song called, he's also a pastor. Um, He's also a rapper. So he wrote a song called False Teachers. And I'm going to read a couple excerpts uh, from that song to you. Part of the song, he, he says, Turn off TBM, that channel's overrated. That the pastors speak bogus statements financially motivated. It's kind of a, like a pyramid scheme. 
visualize heretics Christianizing the American dream. It's foul and deceitful. They're lying to people. Teaching that camels squeeze through the eye of a needle. Ungodly and wicked, ask yourself, how can they not be convicted? Treating Jesus like a lottery ticket. And you're thinking they're not the dangerous type because some of their statements are right? That only proves that Satan comes as an angel of light. This teaching can't be believed without a cost. The lies that you can achieve a crown without a cross. He ends the song and he says, you want to know what all false teachers have, have in common? It's called selfism, the fastest growing religion. They just dress it up and call it Christian. Don't be deceived by the funny biz. If you want to come to, for, to Jesus for money, he's not your God. Money is. Jesus is not a means to an end. The gospel is he came to redeem us from sin. And that is the message forever I'll yell. If you're living your best life now, you're headed for hell. Shai then ends the song by calling out specific names of false teachers, which include Joel Olstein, Benny Hinn, T.D. Jakes, Joyce Meyer, Paula White, Fred Price, Kenneth Copeland, Robert Tilton, Eddie Long. Today I would add a couple to that list as well. I would even say Stephen Furtick, Bill Johnson, and Todd White. Friends, if those are people who you have listened to or who you have seen, run. Run. We have to take false teachers seriously. We need and must know our Bibles to help us sniff out, to sniff out bad doctrine. Your authority is God's word. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, Peter would actually warn the churches of such false teachers. He says, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought them, bringing upon them swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from Longo is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Just as Peter wrote, we should expect and know that there will be and already is destructive heresies among us. Not necessarily here at Emmanuel, which praise God for that. But even within our own convention, destructive heresies are making headway through churches that we cooperate with. Churches that are teaching that our skin color determines whether or not we are privileged or not. There are pastors who I love and I respect, but they are saying that the only way to undo the injustice of the 18th century is for white people over 100 years later to pay reparations. The only way you can come to these conclusions, friends, is through the understanding that we find our identity in our skin color rather than our savior. These words and these worldviews might make sense to a non-Christian, but to the Christian, they ought to immediately think, if you know your Bible, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, 
a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The Christian posture should always be, no matter what the difference in skin color, culture, language, through Christ, we are a new chosen race, a new people set aside for Christ and his bride. For our identity, we should finally find ourselves in Christ and in one body and spirit with our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Well, Boris Johnson is the prime minister of England today, which means that Churchill decided to take that stand in the 40s against Nazi Germany and overcame the odds. It took Churchill real raw courage to stand up against what seemed to be the end and doom of Western Europe. It also takes courage for us as Christians, and especially pastors, to take stands against false doctrines and ideas against our churches. But we must do it. God demands that we have an unwavering commitment to his word, that no matter the cost, we stand and defend the word of God against those who seek to do harm to it. If you would pray with me. God, we praise you and we thank you for the word that you have given us. God, keep us and may we proclaim the true gospel to a world that needs a savior. Lord, let us soak our souls into your word. Let us be a people that know you and your word like at the tip of our tongue. Oh God, keep us and give us courage to stand up for what is right and what you see as good. In Jesus' name we pray.